morning. Welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today we've got a, reter- a returning guest, Art Keller. He is a former CIA case officer. He was attached to the nuclear terrorism sector of the CIA. Wrote a book that we uh, promoted back here about six, seven months ago called Hollow Strength. Uh, excellent book. Can be found on Amazon.com. We'll get back to that part in a moment. But we're bringing Art back today. We're going to talk about... We're going to concentrate on the Middle East, touch a little bit on China, and then kind of just take it from there and see where else it goes. Art, welcome back to the program. John, good to be back. Hey, I really appreciate you reaching out to me last week. I took that as a major compliment and thoroughly enjoyed our conversation yesterday, just to let you know that. Indeed. It was good. There you go. We'll jump right into it now. I want to get right into Afghanistan. Now... Uh, you were um, there was an article done on you in Forbes magazine uh, not that long ago. Kind of touches on a little bit of this and some other things, but concerning Afghanistan, we're doing the drawdown now, and hopefully, the way the government's telling us that we should be out of there completely in the next eighteen months or so. But I think that's going to change because I don't think the Afghans are truly ready to, you know, uh, police themselves. What are your thoughts? Well, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of debate over how many people, when, they, when you say, get out of there, we're not going to be truly out of there. We're going to leave somewhere between 5,000 and 20,000 people behind. That's our version of being out of there. <laughs> As it always is. Now, we would call them advisors, or will that be the role they're going to take on? Well, no, they're they're not explicitly advisors. Well, <clears throat> they're not explicitly advisors. They they stay behind who are left there to to fight. Um, they may be at some point in time, you know, slap with the name advisors, but everyone knows it, they're a combat capability. And the reason I'm making that distinction is because advisors, at least in in the, in the sense that got us into the Vietnam War and got us embroiled, yep. were not supposed to be fighting. They weren't. They were supposed to be standing alongside of the people who have a gun in their hands. No one is pretending that our guys aren't going to have guns in their hands and hop onto a helicopter and go knock off a raid. So it's explicitly a force left behind to carry on combat missions. And and the advisor role may be what they call it. (laughs) I'm agreeing with you. (laughs) To to make it sound like we're not going to be engaged, but um, we're going to be engaged. Well, let me, let, let, well, let's kind of break it down then. So we're going to, let me, let's call it what it's going to be. It's probably be special operations units that'll be there in order to train. And as you said, in order to stand side by side and fight if necessary, will there be private contracting groups in there? Former special operations people, former uh, military of any type, former uh, police, that'll be a part of this that's just not, you know, are they considered when they're private contractors to be part of the United States force that's left behind? Well, there was a heck of a lot of that uh, during the Bush administration of, of people being called um, uh, you know, contractors, and therefore, well, these aren't military people. Um, those guys were all over Iraq. Um, and 
they're also all over Afghanistan as trainers. They weren't explicitly, to my knowledge, and that's a big, <laughs> that's a big caveat. They weren't explicitly engaging in combat operations. Um, but yeah, th- that's a, a, a loophole you could drive a truck through. So, um, as far as I know, there's, there's, you know, we've moved. Um, during the current administration away from using contractors to quite that degree. But that being said, if you really wanted to beef up um, things, that's one way you could do it. Well, that's it. It's, it kind of keeps it under the, you know, under the table there. The numbers really aren't counted. It's, it's a private contracting thing. I mean, that's what it's become over the last, you know, really since Vietnam and, and definitely, uh, you know, in the Iraq war, private contractors, uh, who come in and you know f- you know they fill a void that needs to be filled and it it kind of skews the numbers a little bit but that's the way the game's played now now with being in Afghanistan and we've been there a long time now have we accomplished anything art I mean ha- has has the United States military and and I hate when I ask this question because I feel like I'm sometimes taking a shot at the men and women that serve us. And that's not the case. I don't feel that way at all. I'm taking more of a shot at the people we all serve, and that's our government. And I'll, re- and I'll ask again, has anything been accomplished here, and what is the future of this country? Um, definitely things have been accomplished. <laughs> okay, great. If you're, if, you're, if you're from the perspective of a uh, 15-year-old girl... <laughs> okay. Yeah, Things yeah. Have been yeah, accomplished. Yeah, I have to. Yeah, I see where Things you're going have with been that. Accomplished. Uh, a, a good friend of mine is uh, is going for her PhD at Rutgers, and she has spent a good deal of her time traveling throughout northern Afghanistan. Um, and, and she does this essentially with just a driver, but she does it by herself. Wow. Which most people would say that's insane. And I gotta say, I, I question her sanity from time to time. But the fact is, <clears throat> that could, never could have happened ten years ago. Just uh, what uh, and now she's doing is, is going by and, and getting health information, but she's doing it on her own. And um, I mean, she couldn't even do that in India, frankly. You've you've heard about all the scandals in India about people, just tourists and and, and random Indian women getting gang raped. Yes, and and, and so, um, you know, just the fact that security in these areas and these aren't major Taliban areas, but before we knocked off the Taliban, every area was a Taliban area. So yeah, there there, there have definitely been improvements. Um, uh, Kabul was was a bombed out, um, you know, it was a bombed out mess ten years ago. Um, I, 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 to me, the bigger question is what's going to happen when we do only have those five thousand or ten thousand people, and that's that's the million dollar question. Well, that's going to be it. I mean, are we looking at a vacuum that's going to have to be filled? Will Al Qaeda make its run back at this? Will this be filled in by other groups? Does this become another battleground amongst different factions over there while the United States sits? And the Afghan government, I mean, uh, how much can we trust them? We, we're providing funding. Lots of money is being funded into that country. 
or funneled into that country where we're providing we have provided their their you know their security for years and we're still going to stick around a little bit as we're saying what's the future of the country itself i mean really it's always been kind of a country left behind no one's ever been able to conquer it i mean the soviets tried that didn't happen what's the future for this uh, for afghanistan uh, that's the million dollar question as i as i said i i i haven't contributed to it recently just because i've been so busy but i follow every day what's what's called the afpac channel on oh. foreign policy um and I, I've written at least uh, 10 or so articles for him. <clears throat> Excuse me, frog in my throat. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it just follows the ongoing uh, kind of drama that is Afghanistan and Pakistan. And, um, you know, their take, and, and this is people who do nothing but follow them, is, is that um, we've made some irreversible gains in Afghanistan. And if that's true, that's welcome news. Um, But I do have to wonder if they're being overly optimistic because all the people I know on the ground say that everyone is getting ready for what they assume is going to be the civil war that starts when our troop level drops. And, uh, you know, the last civil war is what led to the rise of the Taliban. That's, the Taliban got their foothold because things were so bad that people would accept anyone to stop the fighting. <laughs> well, that's what happens. You start turning to what you would consider to be either A, the most powerful, or B, the group that seems to be logistically positioned in the best way and can provide some sort of stability. And, you know, the Taliban, like you said, filled that void. And, well, in, in the, the AFPAC channel is... Uh, the guys at that publication, their position is, well, we're not actually going to be all the way gone. We're we're still going to be there. We're probably going to be there for 10 years with a small force, but it's going to be a stabilizing force. And, and the difference is that, um, yeah, the, the Taliban rose after the Soviets pulled out 100%, but we're not going to do that. So it is going to be different, which is, I, I have to say, it's a valid point. We're, we are going to be continue to be engaged, um, whether we should or not, is a, in a whole different question. But um, we are still going to have people there um, for a long time. So it's not going to go the path that it went after the Soviets. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be a civil war. Um, that just means we're going to have the opportunity maybe to get involved in a civil war. <laughs> so well, That's it. You'll have a presence there. Well, then let's swing our sights over uh, to the other long-standing war we've been involved in and, and seems to be, we're saying we're drawing down there as well over in Iraq, but as you and I talked yesterday and, and off, off air, and, and my feelings have always been, I'm waiting for Baghdad to fall like Saigon did in 75 after we were doing the last part of our pullout in Vietnam. And I and your thoughts on that are that you know that is possible, correct? I mean, we it is in position where that could happen. Well, it's 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 not going to fall in the sense that there's a there's a hostile army that's going to take it over. Yeah, it, it's it's falling in the sense that the hostile army is now in the government. 
So um, they don't need to formally take it over. Uh, it, it, it's just that the people that we uh, left in charge or the people that we hoped to take power, uh, who didn't, um, and then when they didn't, the people that we eventually left in charge, which is, you know, Nouri al-Maliki and his, um, his Shiite bloc, you know, they are turning the country into an authoritarian um, thing that mainly benefits themselves and their friends, and it's the farthest thing from real democracy, uh, with the exception maybe of Russia, which is truly the farthest thing from real democracy, but uh, Iraq is getting close. You know, they're, they're uh, definitely uh, uh, forcing everyone out of power, and, and it really, it feels like, it seems like, um, kind of like the revenge of the Shia on Saddam, who was a Sunni, and so, you know, he spent 30, 40 years putting his Sunni allies in power, over the Shia majority, and now the Shias are having their turn. But it's it's still inequitable, and it's still uh, you know making the other people who are disenfranchised there angry and wanting to pick up weapons and 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 bombs. You so, start looking at the potential for another area that becomes a battleground for a civil war. And Art, I have to ask you. I mean, your background. You're in the army. Uh, first Gulf War. I mean, you've seen it. You've done it all. You've got, you know, in-depth knowledge of what goes on over in the Middle East. In particular, I'll ask point blank, is this a region outside of Israel that can ever truly support democracy? It's just not part of who they are. And you're, when we were becoming a democracy, our country was growing. We had time. We had oceans that separated us from other places, so we had time to grow and have our growing pains. These countries don't have that. And again, I'll, I'll point, you know, point it at you again. Is this a region that can ever truly have a, a, a democratic-type government for the most part? Not in the short term. In the long term, quite possibly, but... <clears throat> You know, when I was back in college studying political science, one of the things that the the people who did nothing but think about how countries evolve um, had to say was, look, there's a lot of people who just say, come in, have elections, and bing, bing, boom, you've got a democracy. That's not the way democracy works. Uh, democracy is all about the public sentiment in the country who who are for um, who are for democratic uh, ideals and institutions, and that is an evolution. It's not an election. That's it. Art. That's a generational evolution. And you know, I I, I, I got to say, when I was back in Iraq and interviewing. A weapon scientist, the weirdest thing that I found was from people who didn't even like Saddam. And, and this is one thing that you will, you will find um, an attitude that, that applies to strongmen um, all throughout Africa and the Middle East is they don't like them, but they kind of admire them. Um, they may, the, and the thought is, well, he may be a murderous bastard, but at least he got into power. 
And he's armorless, you know, bastard, it, is what it comes yeah. down to, too. Well, it's, the idea is that, well, everyone, anyone who gets into power is going to be a murderous bastard. That's but true. That's what it takes to get into power. So the, the assumptions that back things up are that democracy is a pipe dream. It could never work. Uh, the way that you get into power and stay into power is by being a murderous bastard. So um, Saddam Hussein is not particularly reviled among those people um, that I talk to. He's just the latest version. But the idea is that whoever gets into power is going to be a murderous bastard. And you're going to find that attitude around the world in a lot of um, what we used to call third world nations. But um, the thing is, they're not, you know, they're not completely wrong in that attitude. That's all they've ever seen. That's and it. that's the way it's always worked. And, and Art, Art, i got a real little break, but I'm going to come back with that because you're hitting on exactly what I believe uh, happens uh, concerning trying to change a democracy. My guest today is Art Keller, a former CIA case officer. We are talking the Middle East. We'll be back in a few moments. Wish there was a local hardware store that provides friendly, quality service, a terrific selection of products, and meets or beats the prices of the big box stores? Well, wish no longer, because that store is Ace Hardware of Westchester. Save money getting ready for spring with Ace's March Red Hot Buys. Make your yard the envy of the neighbors with Ace's four-step annual program. 5,000 square feet, including crabgrass preventer with fertilizer, weed and feed, lawn fertilizer, and winterizer, on sale for $64.99. A variety of yard and garden rakes and tools, six ninety nine to nine ninety nine each. Save eight dollars to fifteen dollars. Plus great deals on Clark and Kensington paint and primer in one. Outdoor cooking time is closer than you think. Ace is the place for all things Weber grills and mail in rebates are given right in the store with your Ace Rewards card. Ace Hardware of Westchester is located on Strasburg Road, right behind the Daily Local News, and they're open seven days a week for your convenience. Ace Hardware and Ace hardware of Westchester are the helpful places. Are you in need of independent financial advice due to a change in job status or preparing for retirement? Come see us at Penn Liberty Wealth Advisors. This is Jim Quinlan, Executive Vice President of Penn Liberty Wealth Advisors. Our financial professionals are trained to provide the members of our communities with assistance as they experience various life events. As we travel through life, events occur such as changing jobs, corporate downsizing, preparing for retirement, change in marital status, or selling a business. Let a Penn Liberty Wealth Advisor help you make the right financial decision for your unique situation. Contact Penn Liberty Wealth Advisors at 866-736-6542 or by email at plbwa at plbwa.com. Securities and advisory services offered through SII Investments, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC, and a registered investment advisor. SII is not affiliated with Penn Liberty Wealth Advisors. It's Daphne Oz from The Chew, and you are listening to WCHE.
Welcome back to Lifeline Edit. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today, my guest is former CIA case officer Art Keller. Uh, Art was a guest on the show about six months ago. He wrote the book Hollow Strength. Kind of doing a follow-up to this. We're going to get a little bit more uh, back into Hollow Strength and Iran in a few moments, but we're kind of leading up to it. We're talking about the Middle East. We're talking about can democracy ever truly take in the Middle East? Uh, Art, you were kind of basically saying what I've been saying for a long time. It's difficult to put a democracy in a country. It doesn't even have to be in the Middle East. It can be anywhere where the, the people aren't used to having that kind of freedom or used to having those kind of leaders. They're used to being told it's almost innate to them. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. And and and, and one of the things that, it's, frankly, it's it's um, it's the favorite, my favorite piece that I ever did for the AFPAC channel, and it's called Ailing Aid, and it's uh, it was a two part article, and it, it just looked at all right. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're giving to Afghanistan. You know, we're we're spending all this money. Um, is it going to work? And the answer at that time was uh, essentially no. It's not going to work. It's not, and it's not going to work for these following reasons. And one of the biggest reasons was, as part of that article, um, you know, I, I synthesized. Uh, information from uh, several different books, but one of them was called Afghanistan 101, which is, it was a sociology primer written by an Afghan professor who had um, gone to uh, school in Afghanistan. He'd gotten his degree there, and then he got his postgraduate degrees in the United States. So mm. he had the cultural knowledge of you know how Afghanistan works, and then he got the academic knowledge of here's the way that you put this into American academic terms, and it's I have to say it's it's a dry book, it's a boring book as only an academic can write. But if you can <laughs> read between, <laughs> if you can read between uh, what he says. What what he says is it's absolutely insane to have assumed that we could come in and and impose democracy. There has never been ever 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 in Afghanistan's history a peaceful transfer of power of someone just leaving the way democracy and. You know, if you read that book, then it's absolutely no surprise that when Hamid Karzai was up for re-election, that he totally rigged the vote. Um, what's, that, that shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone if they had read this book. It, it, and, and by the way, this is not an obscure book. Afghanistan 101 has been read by tens of thousands of people who have been posted to Afghanistan. Oh, I believe uh, that. I believe you're not saying anything or 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 have uh, knowledge or access to anything that uh, I can say our military leaders or our oh, yeah, no, foreign no, policy no. leaders haven't read. They just think they can do it better and differently. Yeah, yeah. They, well, the thing is, I mean, in, in this, in this 
in, in, in America, a lot of our leaders just assume that you can kind of slap American ideals on things without gaining a deep cultural knowledge of the country you're trying to affect, and that never goes well. <laughs> Not unless you're buying specific people and in the hopes that they can turn the mindset of the people around them. And you're right, you're, you can't go in and think you're going to change a culture, which leads me now to Iran, and we're going to get in the whole Arab Spring thing, too. But let's concentrate on Iran. Uh, your book, Hollow Strength, uh, excellent book, has a kind of a fact-fiction way of talking about uh, Iran, the nuclear program, and what's going on inside the country. Now, in the Forbes article, they touch on uh, something that you wrote about, and it seems to be taking hold now. The, ec the uh, economic sanctions seem to be starting to have uh, a more and more larger effect on the country. Now, that can go one of two ways, correct, Art? That can either bring the country down right for a revolution from within, or it can strengthen the country looking for a fight with, you know, on the outside. Which way are you seeing it? Um, I don't know if I would even put it in a in a either-or um, framework. Okay. But frankly, I... Um, it's 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 both hurting some sectors of society and strengthening others. And in fact, I was talking to an Iranian uh, journalist, an Iranian expat who's living in Canada now because he moved to Canada. Um, he's a cartoonist, and um, he moved to Canada after they threw him in prison. Uh, he he had actually run for uh, the mayor of Tehran and. His platform, you would think this would not be controversial, was we need to do better earthquake prevention um, because it is, it's, it's a, seism, it's a seism, seismically unstable country. And a lot of the buildings, it's, you know, it's been around for 2,000 yeah. years, a lot of the buildings are just made out of stone. But apparently even that can't be done in Iran <clears throat> without being controversial. So... He got people angry at him, and he was eventually thrown into prison. But I was talking to him, uh, and in the discussion, he was saying um, he, would, he had been visiting with some Iranian friends, and they were saying, oh, um, by the way, um, when you get to Washington, don't forget to ask them to tighten the sanctions. And he, he was like, what? <laughs> uh, but... The reason they were saying that is because, you know, there are major factions in Iran, and the people who are being hurt by the sanctions are the current people in power. But there's a whole other group of people um, who are allied with a former president, uh, a guy whose last name is Rafsanjani. Yes. Rafsanjani's people want the sanctions to get tighter because um, they're, the, the sanctions currently are targeted against the people in power, so they're making the Robson Johnny faction stronger. So that kind of shows you the perils of slapping sanctions on and thinking, oh, well, this will show them. Um, it will show some people, and it will definitely hurt you know, a lot of the average Iranians who just can't get things that they want. Well, I was going to say, Art, now on that level, you're looking at the um, the population of Iran. Am I correct? A large majority is 35 and younger? 
Yeah, yeah. So oh, there were yeah, young, yeah. young group coming up, young people that are having some exposure, I would assume, to uh, Western culture. I, I'm not sure how much exposure they have to the Internet and so forth. I do know that you and I picked up a large following after our first interview. Uh, lots of Iranians tuned in over uh, the podcast site. But doesn't that make a country such as Iran then with everything that's going on around it, a younger population coming up that wants goods, wants to have a better life, doesn't that make it right for a revolution within? And is that what the United States is hoping for? A topple from within? Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how far people, if I were to talk to the, the you know, head of Iran policy at the State Department or, or President Obama or any senior administration leaders, I don't know how far they've thought of it. The problem with our Iran policy is it's always been um, kind of reactive, not long-term, but it, that should be what we're hoping for is, is essentially, and I, I say this explicitly in the afterword of my novel, Hollow Strength. I t- took the time to write you know, a, a pretty extensive nonfiction afterwards saying, yep. look, time is on our side for precisely the reasons that you name. The demographics, um, it used to be that 70%, it's probably closer to 75%, uh, percent of Iran's population was born after the revolution. They don't have any personal stake in it. They just want a job. Uh, they're they're very much exposed to Western culture. And in fact, the Iranian blogosphere is is um, person for person probably the most active in the world. They are super internet users. So and and. And although Iran keeps on trying to cut off, Iran's government keeps on trying to cut off and restrict access to the outside world, it keeps on not working. In fact, I I wrote an article about that for Foreign Policy. The Iranian government tried to cut off access about six months ago, and it did not go well. Uh, People within Iran's own government practically revolted, saying, look, you can't cut off Google. Wow. (laughs) We need our Gmail. We need our, yeah. Um, so, you know, there are definitely the forces within um, who are allied to, you know, the supreme leader and the most conservative who would like to shut out all those influences. But, you know, it's, it's like trying to hold, hold the tide back with a rake. It's just not going to happen. Interesting. Uh, real quick before we roll into a break here, or can you give us uh, where – we can find your book, Hollow Strength. I know there's a special going on, I think, for the next few days on Amazon.com. Can you tell me about it? Yeah, there is a special on Amazon, and uh, the special is this. You can get it for free as a free Kindle download on Amazon. So just go to Amazon and put in Hollow Strength. Um, from now until April 2nd, it's available as a free download. Uh, it's kind of uh, in honor of a uh, of the publication. Excellent. Almost a year ago. Excellent. I highly suggest who's ever out there listening and my audience, go to Amazon.com, go to the Kindle section, download Hollow Strength by R. Keller. Definitely a good read. Give you tremendous insight into what's going on around and around the Middle East. And we'll be back in a few moments. What 
do you expect to accomplish this year? Now, during Kubota's Great Expectations sales event, you can get a great deal on a Kubota BX Series, the top-selling subcompact tractor of the decade. With Kubota, expect a quality Kubota diesel engine. Expect versatility. Expect performance-matched implements. Expect comfort and value. Raise your expectations about what you can do with the Kubota BX70 Series. Now with financing as low as 0% APR. See your Kubota dealer today. When some of the biggest stars in entertainment stop by on WCHE, they talk to Bryn McHenry on The Bryn Project, like Jennifer Grey, the star of Dirty Dancing. Patrick was a fantastic ballet dancer, so his whole thing was, I've never dropped anybody, and I just didn't find that, that comforting, even though it should have been. Actress and singer, Emmy Rossum. I like anything that's challenging, and I like when you play a character that has bad intentions. It's fun to get to the root of that. Co-star of 30 Rock and self-proclaimed champion of the world, Judah Friedlander. I'm actually not a superhero, banned from being a superhero, because I'm in spandex. Uh, it's just too too much of a turn-on for people. Dancing with the Stars champion, Melissa Rycroft. Tony and I, this time around, came in with a completely different attitude, which was to enjoy this opportunity. The host of So You Think You Can Dance, Kat Dealey. I think it's about holding your nerve and trying a few different avenues. Plus, the latest in health tips. But I always tell people again, it's moderation. Beauty tips from stars like U.S. Women's Soccer Team goalkeeper Hope Solo. My routine now is quite simple. I cleanse, I definitely use a toner, and then I moisturize. And the latest gossip from Hollywood. Hi, I'm Brim McHenry. Listen to my show, The Brin Project, Wednesdays at 12.15 p.m. and Saturdays at 12 p.m. right here on WCHE 1520 AM, The Talk of Chester County. Hey, I'm Melissa Rivers, and you are listening to 1520 AM. Welcome back to Life on Ed. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is a returning guest, Art Keller, former CIA case officer. We are talking the Middle East, and in particular right now, before we took the break, we were talking about Iran, and... um, Art, getting back to Iran, we were saying the population being young uh, is helping set up what could be something from the inside where a possible change in government could come from the inside. But let me ask you, who really runs the country? I mean, you have their president, uh, Mubinajad, and then you have the ruling parties, I think it's still the mullahs. Who's really running this? Is the president just a figurehead in that country, or does he have any true power? Um, He has some power. Um, He runs the executive, but not in the way that happens in the U.S. And a good example of this is that um, several months ago, um, a bunch of the president's friends were arrested uh, as part of a kind of internal political struggle, hmm. and he was told explicitly, "You can't even go to the prison to visit him." So there's the things that um, you know. Theoretically, there's in, in the U.S. There's you couldn't have, um, for instance, the Supreme Court say to someone, "Well, this person is in prison, but you can't go to visit him." But in that 
in that country, nothing can be trumped by the supreme leader. <clears throat> or nothing, nothing you do can't be trumped by the supreme leader, to put it more correctly. By the Ayatollah. So the supreme leader is, is as his uh, name sounds, he's the guy in charge. He has the, the ultimate... Um, power in his hands. That doesn't mean he is a monolith. There's plenty of people in Iran who hate his guts. Okay. He happens to be the biggest concentration of power, and he has the most factions behind him, um, in, in many cases, simply because he's the guy who can hand out the economic favors. And, and that's not something that you can discount. A lot of people who hate his guts do business with him because... Um, you know, towing that line is how you get rich. Well, that's like any other business. I mean, there's a lot of times I do business with people I don't like. I assume they don't like me at times, but you know, it's a cohesive relationship that's uh, prosperous for both parties. But, all right, let me ask you, let's, let's say uh, a change is to occur in Iran and it becomes more of a U.S.-friendly uh, type of government, I won't say democracy, just more U.S. friendly, not back to the Shaw days, but just more progressive. Does that, in turn, start to change the region, meaning Syria with its with its you know with its own uh, civil war going on with Egypt, with the rest of the Arab countries? Is Israel like the first hit on the dominoes? Um. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. Iran is definitely uh, a regional power um, in a way that, um, for my money, <clears throat> Egypt isn't, because Iran has, has been more co- cohesive for, uh, more politically cohesive. Um, you know, <clears throat> both are ancient civilizations, uh, both date back a long time, but um, <clears throat> like them or hate them, Iran has had its its act together um, and has been influencing countries in a way that Egypt hasn't. And by that, you mentioned Syria. Um, you know, Syria is uh, has been for a long time, you know, I, I want to say, you know, a, a kind of wholly owned subsidiary of Iran, and so is Lebanon. I mean, they've exerted power to a degree there that just doesn't exist in a country that is truly independent. So, and, and, you know, in, in Iran and controlling Hezbollah yep. um, has, has influenced events all over the world. So Iran is truly a powerhouse, and if things change there, um, then, yeah, it, it, it may indeed open up the whole reason. Um, the, the whole reason Arab Spring hasn't worked real well is, you know, people have had these, these kind of half-assed revolutions, but it hasn't changed the underlying things we've talked about, which is, you know, the culture, uh, the, the ideology. It's like you may have a bunch of youngsters there who <clears throat> want uh, democracy, but they don't even really understand what wanting democracy means. Um, they think that means I want to vote, but uh, um, most of them don't understand throughout the Arab countries that means um, democracy means letting people who you don't agree with having their say and letting people you don't agree with um, uh, vote against you and get power and all these other things. And ironically, um, 
Iran is one of the most uh, politically sophisticated, and it's a country because it has this large youth culture and people um, who are exposed to Western culture, and, and they're exposed to it uh, in part because the biggest uh, Iranian city outside of Iran is Los Angeles. There's almost uh, there, there's various estimates between 500,000 and 750,000 uh, uh, Iranian-Americans or Iranian-expats, as you want to count it, living there. And so people in Iran, they're always talking to their relatives living in the U.S. And, you know, the, the, the flow of ideas is going both ways. So they're being influenced about how a democracy works in a way that, a lot of uh, countries where the Arab Spring tried to get started and it just has kind of um, sputtered out haven't. Um, so what you're saying, and, and this is the way I'm reading into this, if, I, if you were teaching a class right now, this is how I would read into it. Because of Iran's cohesiveness over the centuries, the fact that it has maintained a strong power base in the region, it is politically sophisticated. There is a younger generation there. They have embraced technology. It hasn't been censored from them for the most part. They're able to exchange those ideas back and forth with Westerners, United, people in the United States in particular. So it kind of keeps feeding that seed of possibility of yeah, the government yeah. change. Oh, definitely. And, 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 and this is one of the reasons that the current regime is trying so hard and failing to restrict the Internet is because they're terrified. And, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, for, for all the Star Wars geeks out there, it's, it's, it's hard not to think of a line that I saw in the original movie, which was, you know, uh, you know, the more you try and hold on, the more will slip through your grasp. It's true. And it, that's exactly the, the situation is they're trying to desperately hold on to what they have, the power there. And the more that they do that, and they're not doing it by um, saying, oh, well, let's open up our doors. Let's be more inclusive. They're doing it by saying, all right, well, things are not going our way, so we're going to have to be more repressive. We're going to have to be, you know, turn things back even more. And it, it's, again, it's, it's trying to hold back the tide. So to me, the, the long-term question is not, is there going to be a revolution? It's going to be, when it comes, um, is it going to be a peaceful transition, or are we going to see mullahs being just shot? Well, uh, that's and and there's your and there's your question. And let's swing it to look at the big boy, the bigger boy on the block now, Israel. And they they have been more or less since the day of their uh, uh, inception. Um, you know, they have to do what they have to do to survive over there. They're surrounded by people who just don't hate them. They want to exterminate them, pretty much their own words. My question is, within Iran, do does the ruling party, and I would assume they would, use the situation with uh, they're trying to get nuclear uh, power right now, nuclear weapons, meaning Iran, as a way of national pride, playing that end of it to, to the younger generation that might be on the fence of, do I want to be part of this government or not? Use that national pride card and like, hey, who is who is the United States to tell us who is or Israel to tell us or anyone to tell us that we can't have nuclear capability? Um, there's it's hard to find an Iranian who won't 
say exactly that. Um, according to, you know, the Non-Proliferation Treaty, which uh, Iran uh, pretends to be a, a, a member in good standing of, but which, of course, they haven't been for a long time. But according to that, everyone can have access to nuclear technology and civilian use of nuclear power. That's why the United States sent up the International Atomic Energy Agency, uh, the idea being if we give them civilian nuclear power, they're not going to set up, not just Iran, but, uh, you know, the whole world isn't going to set up these military programs. Um, so every Iranian will say explicitly, well, if everyone else has nuclear reactors, why can't we? That's the way the whole program has been sold to the average Iranian public. Um, and you'll get a split opinion when you start talking to Iranians on whether or not um, what everyone else is saying outside of Iran, which is that uh, this civilian program has just been a cover for a, a bomb program. But quite a few average Iranians would then say, well, yeah, we're kind of behind that, too. You know why? Because Pakistan has a bomb. That's why right. shouldn't we? Right. And, and they're not saying that in a nationalist term. They're saying it in the same way that, frankly, Americans would. If Canada was nuclear-armed, we'd want a bomb. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They're saying it in the sense like, hey, why not us? It, I agree. I don't think it's it's being said outright by the average Iranian in the sense that, hey, we want the bomb so we can attack you. It's just like, well, what gives you the right and we don't have one? Exactly. And, 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 and frankly, just on those terms, it's kind of hard to justify why we can have one and they can't. <laughs> well, it's, well, you start getting personal then. You start trying to explain to them, well, your government's... Not exactly stable, your belief systems, uh, there's a lot of things that go into national pride at that point, and you start touching on people's religious beliefs, yeah. and now you're really into a territory where finding a common ground, you practically lose it at that point. Yeah, well, and, 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 and someone could come back, someone who was in the business saying, well, it's like, yeah, Pakistan had a bomb, and you know what happened with Pakistan having a bomb? They haven't bombed everyone yet, but their system of government was so screwed up that they let their chief nuclear engineer, A.Q. Khan, essentially open a nuclear arms bazaar and sell technology to all comers. That's what happens is, is if you don't have a strong government system with real institutions that monitor it, if you just have these kind of, uh, kind of corrupt, um, poorly regulated things, then this most dangerous technology in the world, it gets loose. And that's why you can't have a bomb, because you have a government that's just as corrupt as Pakistan. Exactly. <laughs> Today, my guest is Art Keller. We are talking the Middle East. You're listening to Life Unedited. We'll be back in a few moments. It may be nice now, but the cold winter temperatures are closer than you think. It's time to take care of your home oil heating needs. Call the company who Chester County residents have been depending on for over 46 years to provide competitively priced, quality home heating oil on time and without disruption. That company is Scheller Oil. Scheller Oil is a local, family-owned, and operated full-service company serving your heating oil, gasoline, and propane needs. 
Give Scheller Oil a call at 610-692-3388. That's 610-692-3388. Scheller Oil Company, simply the best. Here are some important questions for our senior citizens. Are you over 62 and still making mortgage payments? Are you finding it more difficult to make ends meet on your fixed retirement income? Are you still looking for gold in your golden years? Well, maybe now is the time to finally start enjoying your retirement years. If you don't want to move from your home and you want to increase your monthly cash flow, then a home equity conversion mortgage may be the very best decision you can make. This is the home equity loan program for seniors that doesn't require monthly payments. Call now for a free equity checkup to see if you qualify for this federally regulated and insured program at 484-994-2826. That number again, 484-994-2826. For more information about dates and times for an upcoming educational seminar in Chester County. Hey everybody, this is Hope Solo, your goalkeeper for the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. You're listening to WCHE 1520 AM. Welcome back to Life on Edit. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Art Keller, former CIA case officer. He has written the book, Dark, I'm sorry, Hollow Strength. Uh, we interviewed him about that about six months ago. But today we're talking the Middle East. We're going to be swinging into China in a second, getting some thoughts on China and Korea. But before we do that here in the last segment, Art, can you tell us again uh, where we can find a copy of the book, Hollow Strength, and the special that's being ran this weekend? Uh, sure. You can get it uh, right now, uh, by which I mean today through April 2nd, for free as a free Kindle download on Amazon.com. <clears throat> you can also buy a paperback. Uh, paperbacks, of course, cost money, so those aren't <laughs> free. But the electronic version, and you don't even need to own a Kindle to read a Kindle version because Amazon, crafty devils that they are, have made Kindle software free Kindle software for everything, for your mobile phone, for iPads, for... So you can get Kindle software, and then once you have it, download almost any book in the world onto your thing. So you can get the Kindle version of Hollow Strength, even if you don't have a Kindle, right now. But uh, before we get into China, one thing that yeah, I ahead. wanted to, t- to, to tie into, which I thought was funny, I mentioned yesterday when we were chatting, was that... You know, my book came out several months ago, and after that happened, my book is is based on real people in Iran, and I use their real names, including the guy who's running Iran's Revolutionary Guard, General Mohammed Ali Jafari. And I use him as a character in my book, and my book starts with an explosion and, and sinking of an Iranian vessel, and... It's, it's essentially a plot being carried out to bolster government support because, as we've been discussing previously, you know, support for the regime in Iran is really shaky. And I did that based on things that I've seen. I made that plot based on things that I've seen this Jafari guy do. He's a ruthless bastard. There's no other way to say it. Well, it turns out a few months ago, uh, news came to light that he actually had a plot to sink a ship to <laughs> bolster support for the regime, and I was like, "Holy moly!" I don't. Did he read the book? Is that <laughs> he probably did. It's a hey. You know something, Art? You're talking about something that 
that has been done by many governments over the years in order to get some national pride going. And, uh, you know, you're very smart. You, you know, you did your job well for the CIA. Your books are very right there, right in your face. And yeah, maybe he did read it. Take it as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, I don't know whether to be proud that I <laughs> forecast so well or scared that I can think so well like a psychopathic Iranian general. That but, goes uh, both ways there. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, how about China? <laughs> I got me thinking on that. Well, you know, when we talked about China yesterday, we went into the, uh, you know, the air quality issues they're having, the pollution problems, uh, the different illnesses that are popping up over there, which makes sense. I don't think the average American realizes how polluted China is. They don't have the Chinese version of the EPA. They don't have oversight into, uh, you know, environmental issues. They don't have competition within the country, within businesses to make things that produce cleaner air or cleaner water. So it is what it is over there. And the only real monitor, I guess, would be from the United Nations. Am I correct? The ones that actually kind of tell the world what's going on? Um, there's a lot of environmental groups out there that are keeping an eye on things. Uh, the U.N. Is, is one of them, but not the, not the only. I mean, frankly, you know, you, you can't – the air crosses borders. So everyone – all, all the neighbors are keeping an eye on, on things. And China is, of course, as everyone knows, they're, they're – have a very um, strong economy and a very aggressive economy, but they are not, um, they don't have a lot of energy resources, and a lot of what they do have is, uh, is coal, and what they have isn't the best kind of coal, anthracite. They have this the kind of crappy coal. It's, it's, it's brown coal is what the term is known. Um, it's one step up from essentially peat, and it's got mm. a ton of sulfur in it and other contaminants. And when you burn that, um, you get a lot of very nasty air pollution. So that's one of China's many, many environmental problems is that they don't have um, – they don't have good energy resources. The bigger problem, and I was talking to, to uh, um, people who run a nuclear energy um, education site, the bigger problem is, is just kind of culturally <clears throat> they don't have any history of, of doing effective regulation. And a good example of this is even when they try and do something right, in a lot of cases it backfires. Like um, there, was a, there was a recent crackdown on um, farms that were selling diseased pigs. They were basically making these diseased pigs into pork products and getting a lot of people sick and killing a lot of people. So Chinese police said, all right, enough of that. You can't do that anymore. So what happened? The farmers dumped these diseased pigs into the river uh, by thousands, thousands and thousands. So um, at the time, it's probably gone. It's probably doubled since then. Uh, Seven thousand dead pig carcasses, diseased yeah. dead pig carcasses, were found in the river that supplies Shanghai. You know, one of their major industrial cities with its water. Um, so that just kind of shows it's like even when they try and do the right thing, which is to say, crack down on one thing, they're. <clears throat> The regulation is so weak, and there's so little coordination, and it's such a big kind of sprawling country with, you know, no tradition of, of really uh, 
effective regulation since the communists have been in power that it, it backfires. So even an attempt to do the right thing and clean up the environment a little bit winds up with 7,000 dead pigs and diseased pigs in your river. Well, there um, we go. I mean, it's and it's a whole thing there. You know, Art, I got to bring you back in a couple of weeks if you got the time again because we could. I want to do a whole thing on China next. Yeah, no. I, yeah, because I'm my, not. I mean, my, we stuck. I've been yeah. increasingly focused on it, even though yeah. my most of my time has been spent on the Middle East. It's 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 fascinating and terrifying. And one of the things that I just saw most recently that's been terrifying me is learning that their banking sector is getting really unstable. And I was like, oh, that's not good. No, I, I mean, saw that on I saw that on the news as well. Have you got time in a couple of weeks? We 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 can reset this. I like you to come in. We'll do a whole thing on China. Sure. Uh, the actual reason is I'm up against the time, and I didn't get as much time as I wanted to go into this. But I'm going to give you a call uh, later on this week, or coming up this week, and we're going to set a time to bring you back in to do China. Yeah. I think that would be a blast. But, but I did want to ask you, I've still got a couple minutes left here, staying on the China topic for a second. You were talking about their coal, and their coal being a dirtier form of, uh, of, of coal with the, with the sulfur and so forth. Are we supplying them, the United States, with coal at all? If not, I'd like to know why. We have reserves beyond capacity. Uh, that is a question I don't know the answer to. I'm going to have to look be, that one but up. I don't, I, 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 and, and this is just a guess, but coal is, is a really good energy source when you happen to have it locally. But I don't think that calorie for calorie, and I mean that in the sense of heat energy, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think it's too efficient to ship it all the way across the Pacific. Like, I think you get more calories per cubic yard in oil. So I, I'm, I would doubt that we're shipping much coal to them. Um, I, I know that you know one of the reasons they've been such a thorn in our side with our Iran policy is that they want Iran's oil. Um, they buy a hell of a lot of oil, and that's one of the reasons they're all over Africa, is they're, they're trying to get Africa's resources, oil, but also food and all kinds of other things that they need as industrial input. So that's actually kind of a useful way to think about China. It's, they're not actually in conflict with us. They just want their economy to work, and they will do almost whatever it takes to make sure that um, they get access to oil, they get access to these other things. That's it. Um, The growing economy. Yeah, well, growing, but the people who are running China are terrified of the fact that if the economy starts growing, the whole thing's going to implode. Jeez, there we go. Art, we're going to end the show here, but I'm going to call you this week. We're going to do a follow-up on China. Today, my guest has been Art Keller, former CIA case officer. He has written the book, Hollow Strength. You can find it on Amazon.com. For this, from today through the 2nd, you can download it for free on any Kindle or any Kindle uh, device that can handle the Kindle system. Art, thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to talking with you again. Thanks a lot, John. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Great. Bye-bye.